Hi, this is Craig. Thanks again for tuning in today. As you know, when we get together, we're going to hear a message from God on how to live the Christian life. How He provides us for us every day. How He protects us every day. And how He gives us encouragement, mercies, where we learn the sovereignty of who God really is in our life. That's what these messages are for. Well, today's message is titled, What is Sin? What is Sin? I want to start off by asking a question here. What is it about being told not to that causes us to want to? Right? Well, for, for one reason, just the knowledge that we're not supposed to do that thing, whatever that might be, that, that is enough to motivate most of us to do it anyway, right? We've done it. I don't know if you remember as, as a child, uh, there was the old uh, uh, dare you game. Well, better yet, it was sometimes called the double dog dare you game. And that's when it got most of us, the double dog dare. Well, think about that, though. We don't know if we can explain what a double dog dare is, but it had a huge power over everybody who would listen to it. The, the, the pressure was more than one could bear when there was a double dog dare. When someone dared us, it mattered not if the act was right or wrong or good or bad or if we even wanted to do it or not. Now, it was a matter of pride and ego and Mixed all with determination not to fail, right? That's what that one is. Well, the, the teaching of Paul reminds us that this truth has been alive throughout the ages of life. From the time the law was given, it has seemed that humankind's typical behavior was to break the law. Paul even suggests that the law excited or, or aroused and well, it certainly displayed our inner tendency to sin, right? Sin. Let's think about sin for a moment. Most of us don't really use that word anymore. We, we may not consider the concept. We probably have a limited definition of what it really is. And uh, can we come to kind of come to think of sin as in a past tense anyway, right? That uh, used to be a really big deal, but not anymore. Now, not many years ago, I remember hearing someone who, who claimed to be a believer, and he says, Craig, I, I'm so tired of hearing about sin. Everyone makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You know that. Well, yeah, but the, that last, you know, two-thirds of that statement, it, it may be somewhat true, but the, the thought behind this statement is nothing but secular humanism at its best, or, or worst, for that matter. And it was sin that sent Jesus to the cross. History records that he died a painful, bloody, humiliating death. And the reason he died was for sin. And for this reason and more, we need to understand what sin really is. Now, have you ever defined, tried to define sin? Yeah, maybe we all do kind of in our own way, but how about I'll just give a suggestion today that sin is breaking God's law or word, or it could be disobeying God's will. How about that? Yet 
Overall, today, many believers, they flirt with sin. They play with sin. They even, you know, wink at sin. And they even sin intentionally. But why? Because they think, oh, God, it's no big deal. No one got hurt, so it's no nothing. But the Bible teaches us, especially in Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked for whatever you sow, that you will reap. And if you sow sin, then you will reap the consequences. And from this text right here, I want to consider just a couple of things. That just really stood out to me. God will not be mocked. And whatever you sow, you will reap. And if you sow sin, whoops, you're going to reap the consequences. So let's look at this just a, 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 for a few moments here today. How about it that um, uh, sin is a predator? Let's say that. Sin is a predator. Have you ever given any thought to the predatory nature of sin? No, probably not. I hadn't really thought about it until this message was coming together from God. I hadn't really thought about it as a predator. But let's use an analogy while you're thinking about it. An alligator. He lays in wait for his prey to come ever so close enough. That he can launch out and devour it in one big bite. Takes it down underwater, spins it around, and the prey is all his. A snake, well, we know that from the garden, that will charm the birds or a squirrel or rabbit until it's too late for its escape and he has them. And a hawk, how about a hawk? This is known for its speed in flying down it so fast. The predator, the prey doesn't even know what's happening. He picks it up and then he flies off and carries it to devour it at a later time. You see, predators watch their prey. They study their prey. And then they strike when they're least expected. Now, sin, the predator, sin takes every opportunity or takes every advantage of and finds any occasion to get at us. Sure, what a sneaky predator he is. He finds us when we are not expecting it, and we don't have our guard up, and we're not watching for it. Then he strikes, and he carries us away. James knew this concept when he wrote this section. He says, each person is tempted when he is carried away by his own evil desires. You see, Temptation doesn't give us the desire to do wrong. It only hits our hot button. And I've stated this very same thing here in several other messages that I've shared with you in the past. Temptation doesn't cause us desire to do wrong. It just hits our hot button to get us started. We haven't taken any action yet in temptation. And Satan knows our weakness. And he knows when we are weakest. And the, the, the truth is that he will exploit us that only a predator can. Now, in America, we attempt to protect our children from sexual predators, do we not? Sure. We have that registered offenders list. It's available online to everyone who wants to look it up. And when an individual is convicted of a sexual crime, they're required by law to register their address. Now, this list was begun in an effort to protect our society from the ongoing tragedy of abuse and death. And the intent was to identify people who would harm our children so that we can protect them and keep them away. 
I was thinking about this, and I wonder why we just don't do this uh, for the matter of sin. Today, we seem to be afraid to call sin by its real name. But think about it. If adultery was sin, it still is sin today. And if fornication was sin, well, it's still sin today. If gossip was sin, it is still sin. If stealing was sin, it is still sin. If homosexuality was sin, it still is sin. And if from God's word we can determine what sin was, then we know what it is today. And if we know what sin is, why not identify it, register it, and then keep ourselves, our children, our friends, and our family as far from the sin as possible? See, sin is a predator which devours anyone who gets close enough to it. But sin is also a producer. Have you ever thought of that? I know you're asking, Craig, what, what exactly does that mean, right? Okay, it's a producer. Well, sin will produce many things, and none of which are, are very good at all. But the old saying says, you can't play with fire and not get burned. Have you heard that before? This expresses the concept of sin very clearly just right there, that simple little phrase. When we allow sin in our lives, the end result will be less than desirable, sure. And in Romans 7, verse 8, it tells us what we should know that sin will take every chance it gets to get us to break God's law. And Paul uses covetousness as an illustration here, but he really could have used any one of the other Ten Commandments, but he used this. At the very knowledge that an action is wrong before God, sin will be there offering you the temptation to violate God's command. The temptation may come soft and settle at first because Satan knows what he's doing, right? He has a personal plan for each of us. It's not the same. It's not a one plan fits all. Every plan he has is a personal plan for each one of us. But both Satan and sin, yeah, they're very persistent in their pursuit of us. This would be like, oh, let's say it'd be like a harlot chasing after a married man, playing the game of capture the, well, well you know what, and she will keep on until he gives in. And he sins, right? She gets him to sin. And then she wins. Absolutely she wins. Look at Paul's attitude in Romans uh, 7, 15 through 24. And he says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do... And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of the sin at work in me. 
Oh, what a wretched man I am. A quick side note here. Because when you first read this passage, it appears to have run together a lot of do's and don't do's and I want to and don't do and do that. It's kind of like the game of, as I was drafting this together, it's like, this kind of reminds me of who's on first from Abbott Costello, right? That's a classic if you don't know it. You should pull it up and listen to it. Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. And it just goes back. It's a, it goes back and forth and it's a play on the words and this little section here reminded me of how the words just run together and pretty soon you don't know who's doing what or not doing that. I, anyway, it just made need to slow down here and I would just suggest to read this over a couple of times slowly and focus on it. But I want to share one quick moment between, excuse me, from this, from this scripture. In verse 23 it says, But I see another law at work in me. Well, what law is that, you ask? This law that Paul is referring to is the law of sin, way, way down, deep, deep inside of you. And it makes you very uncomfortable to the power of sin. And it refers to everything within us that keeps us more loyal to our old selfish ways than to God himself. This section is much more than a cry of a desperate man. It describes the experience of anyone struggling against sin while trying to please God at the same time. Now, I want you to remember that this is Paul that's written this book of Romans. Yeah, th this is the Apostle Paul that wrote this about himself. He is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. This is the church planner of the excellence and, and, and of, gee whiz, probably history. Yet, this is the guy who says, what I want to do, I don't. And what I don't want to do, that is what I do. And I don't really understand why. And so I got to think, I was like, what? Paul struggled too with all these things that we experience each day? Yeah, yes, he did. See, sin has a hypnotic way of producing confusion in the life of a person. And once sin gets a toehold in your life, it will become a foothold. And after that, it ultimately becomes a stronghold. And then watch out, because sin is both progressive and it's persistent. It pursues us every day, over and over and over until we wear out, if we're not careful. Now, King David, he loved God with all his heart. And in one instance of laziness and avoiding his responsibilities, he found himself with time to kill. And with you, kill time. Time may well respond by killing you, right? So he went up on the rooftop to sunbathe. And Satan saw to it that Bathsheba was undressed and looking her very best down in the courtyard across the road, across the... Uh, uh, from where where his uh, uh, castle was there. See, Satan knew that because David was not engaged in the Lord's work out leading the nation with his men, he stayed back this day, and he was susceptible to temptation. Again, Satan knew David's weakness. He knew when David was the weakest, and it was no accident that Bathsheba was in plain sight of the king on that exact day when he stayed back. Now, once David lusted after Bathsheba, 
the rest of the story is like sliding down a greased pole. It's obvious. Sin has it hooks in David, and it would not easily let him go. And you can actually see the persistency and the progression in David's sin. Lust, action, adultery, deception, and ultimately murder. Yes, murder, death. Never forget that sin ultimately produces death. I'll say that again. Sin ultimately produces death when it's successful with you. But that's not all it is. Sin is also a problem too. Now I know after I said that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to say, yeah, well, duh, Craig, yeah, you think? Sure, it's a problem. Well, for who? Well, for one, it was Paul. After telling us about all that sin produced in his life, the I don't do what I want to do when I actually do what I don't want to do, he says, and what a wretched man I am. The word wretched is translated uh, as miserable and unhappy. In fact, there's one paraphrase I came across that says, I'm at the end of my rope. Now, know there are many problems which comes from sin. It makes you miserable. It makes you unhappy. And it will make you irritable and even defensive and even a liar. You'll lie to protect yourself. But if you're a believer who has a sin issue in your life, likely you're going to find yourself becoming all these things that you really don't like in others. And why is this? Well, the main reason is the broken fellowship that you have with God during this time. We're designed to have an ongoing and personal relationship with God through Jesus. But sin, it interrupts that ongoing. It interrupts our intimacy with God. And it breaks the connections that we have with him. Well, frankly, most of us know what it is to have a broken relationship, I'm sure. Mom, dad, brother, sister, siblings, friends, all whom we love dearly, but somehow just doesn't see things the way we do and the relationship's broken. Perhaps you or, or they feel wronged by the other intention exists. Know what you do? You avoid each other. Yeah, why? Well, we might not want to admit it, but it's because of the inner pain we feel when we see these individuals. So, you avoid them at all costs, and they avoid you, and nothing gets accomplished or resolved. And with sin present in our life, God is nowhere to be found. In fact, God is quite offended by our sin. It, it was our sin that sent God's only begotten Son to a painful death. God is still holy and will not tolerate sin in his presence. Yes, you, you may still be saved, but you certainly won't feel like it because God will turn his face from you when you sin. And that's a real problem. And for the believer, the problem with sin is that it disrupts the intimacy with God. For, for the non-believer, sin's punishment is just, just a place called hell, that's all. And, and sin makes a person wretched, miserable, unhappy, hopeless for the days ahead and Sin, it's a big problem. But there's one more thing I want you to know. Sin is personal. We talked about that a little bit. Satan has a personal plan for each of us. And every time a message like this is preached, someone comes by and says, hey, Craig, if those people over there would have heard the message, you would have gotten them by now. Well, I can just tell you that they're there and they're here and they've heard it. And they've already been gotten. 
It's up to them now to do with it what, the, what they heard. And the same with you. It's your responsibility to do what you hear on God's messages here when we talk, when we get together. See, the Bible also says, all have sinned and no one is righteous. And this means me and this means you. Sin is a predator who pursues us, who seeks to produce the fruit of death in us and is ultimately seeks to destroy us. That's what sin wants to do. And some will ask, well, how do you read the last part of chapter 7 that we did and come up with a point or conclusion or thought that sin is so personal? Paul, he was a legal scholar, and his mind was trained for the objective, logical, and legal ways of writing. Yet, from verses 14 we read to the end of the chapter, this struggle was a very personal issue to him. He literally says, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of help. Sin is indeed personal, and it will personally destroy you and me. It is sin which sends us to hell. And our sinful nature was inherited from our moms and our dads, who inherited from their moms and dads, and whose genetic dispositions can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve, where the first sin developed. Now, as we close here, I want you to consider how sin lured Eve and Adam, how it lures us in, and what the results are. See, Eve obviously was comfortable with the serpent. She'd interacted with him before. She trusted what he had to say completely. But now this time, the serpent was possessed by Satan. And he came with the smooth words. And he tests her commitment to God who created her and loved her and watched over her and gave her everything that she wanted. But God had said, Don't touch the fruit of this tree in the center of the garden. And this means you. Does that sound familiar to you? Lord, we thank you for this message today. We thank you for enlightening us what sin is. That it's a predator. It's a producer. It's personal. It gets into our soul and tries to destroy us. But God, you are there every day. All we have to do is repent of the sins and ask forgiveness, and you will take care of the rest. Your promises are here today, just as they were yesterday, and as they will continue to be tomorrow going forward. Bless those that hear this message so that they cannot fall into these traps and believe in your word and know that your word is the word of truth. Amen.